Hey, well, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, you know, we've been so blessed in our sermon series called The Wisdom of Friends. And we've had just wonderful communicators, but more than communicators, but they're friends of living hope. So they are connected to our church in so many different ways. They've spoken uh, for us in, the, uh, in different contexts. Uh, we've done things together uh, as a church community. And I'm delighted to introduce our speaker for today, Harold. Uh, Kim is a friend of our church and friend of mine. And he is a senior pastor of Christ Central of Southern California. They have multiple campuses. And um, Harold, we've met like six, seven years ago. And, and I have to be honest in saying, you know, my times with Harold has been a, a time of, that I have been sharpened. Um, as we served together on, on several different things, including solo conference, Harold in the past has challenged me and, and to think, you know, is our preaching, our communication really pointing to Jesus Christ and the gospel ultimately? And so I know oftentimes we get great guest speakers who come here and, and bless us on a Sunday, but I want you to know, Harold, along with the others that we have had this month, have been men who've not only blessed us when they are here publicly, but there are people who bless us by challenging us, especially me, to grow as a pastor and leader. So I'm so grateful for Harold's friendship. And so, hey, Living Hope, would you wel- uh, welcome warmly our guest speaker for today? Thanks, you, Steve. A very, very gracious and kind. It's uh, with excitement and great privilege to join together with a lot of old familiar faces, new friends, to bring before you God's word. Pastor Steve is not only a friend, but like an older brother. Too much to say, he's like a father. (laughs) Don't want to date him too much. But we were joking at the first service how one of our anti-gifts is music, anything to do with singing. Steve says he can't sing in parts. I should just not sing at all. And the lovely gal over here who played the oboe made me rehearse how much trauma and horror I gave to others because I played the oboe as well. (laughs) With that little thin reed at the end, you can just imagine the pain I inflicted on many people who dared to listen. But living hope, I, I bring greetings and blessings from Christ Central, our network, family and friends, this is a joy to bring to you uh, God's word. At this time, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Psalms. Okay, Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6, I've entitled it, Pain Turns Into Praise. This is to the choir master, a psalm of David. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit through his servant David. I'll read it for us. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my, 
Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is God's word. Our psalm today is all about pain. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. It's all about pain. But it's a prolonged kind of pain. It's an ongoing, continual pain. And in fact, it's the not getting better kind of pain. Today's psalm for us is someone brings into the presence of God and to the assembly of worshipers a kind of pain that isn't getting better. A kind of pain that you don't have the right theological answers to. A kind of pain that maybe you've never shared with anybody. Oh, but it's there. There's no way it's not there at one point or another. Pain is part and parcel of our fallen world. As soon as we said, God, don't need you. I'm pretty good on my own. I'm going to run my life. I'll fix my life. I'll fix my marriage. I'll fix my kids. I'll fix my job. I'll fix my financial security. I'll fix this depression. I'll fix this loneliness. I'll fix this addiction. Oh, you're looking at exhibit A of a guy who tries to fix things all the time. And as long as I've tried to fix it by myself, the pain gets worse. This is a psalm about pain that doesn't get better. Now, where's this pain coming from? It's poetry, so it's an unidentified source. We're not quite sure where the pain is coming from. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So it could be that someone is hunting David down. This did happen in David's life, a conspiracy. People hated on him. They wanted to kill him. In parts of the world today, if you say that you believe and follow Jesus, it does mean immediate persecution or imprisonment or you're endangering the lives of your family or yourself. So it could be the pain of the dread and fear that someone is there to expose you, show everything you're really doing, and to bring you down. Other commentators have said in verse 3, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. That seems to me that it could refer to a chronic illness, some kind of physical condition, mono, some kind of substance abuse, some kind of debilitating Just life-draining kind of disease. But no matter what the commentators say, I'm happy to say that we don't have to figure out where the pain is coming from because this is a psalm, it's a poem, it's figurative. So you can dump in any kind of pain here. This is just talking about, do you have a pain that isn't getting better? Well, here's a psalm for you. Here's a song for you. Here's a prayer for you. I had a good friend by the name of Peter Trotman come and visit Christ Central this last weekend. It was magnificent. It was insightful. For close to two decades, he's been working with a parachurch ministry called The Navigators. 
And he works at one of the flagship cultural centers of the world, NYU, NYU, close to two decades. And here's what I learned from him, and I thought you would want to learn as well. He said, our grandparents' generation, our grandparents' generation, the question for the boomer generation was, what is truth? What is truth? And then the question for Gen X, my generation, parents' generation, was, where is meaning? So our grandparents, the cultural question was, what is truth? My generation, where is meaning? And then you turn to the millennial generation, and the question of the times, according to him, is what do I do with my pain? They're all interrelated, right? If you can't find where truth is, you lose meaning. And with no meaningful meta-narrative, no meaningful bigger story, we're going to be lost in a world of pain. And he gave us these nice little graphs and charts that show us with the rise of the introduction of the smartphone. My two lovely daughters are here, and I know this well as a parent. The absolute addictive smartphone, which can be used for good, but he showed us all these stats that with the new generation, millennial generation Z, that anxiety, discontentment, because you're constantly comparing yourself with other people, and get this, loneliness has exploded off the charts. With social devices, people are becoming more lonely. With more technology, seemingly where we know more things and we're more connected, people are becoming more anxious and fearful and discontented. And the question of our day and age, and of course it's a question throughout all of human history is, what do I do with my pain? Well, I thank God for a psalmist like this because he leads us in a song of pain. He's a leader who instructs us what to do with pain. By the way, spiritual leadership is extraordinarily difficult and precarious. It is extraordinarily difficult. I'll tell you why. Because if you want your church or your small group or your wife or your family or anyone around you to be vulnerable and open, you want them to be open so because clearly you can see what hurts them and you objectively can analyze how they should get healed. Well, if you want them to be vulnerable and open, the leader has to be vulnerable and open first. If you want your people to bleed and really get well, the saying goes, leaders have to hemorrhage. And that's what the psalmist does for us right here. I like to take three different angles or three questions from the psalm. What can we do with our pain? Second, what can God do with our pain? And third, can the pain pass? Three angles, three questions. What can I do with my pain? Second, what does God promise to do with my pain? Third, can the pain pass? How will the pain pass? First, what to do with the pain? For a silent, stoic, Asian male types, 
who hate talking about what you feel, who stuff it down. So you're going to drink it down. You're going to smoke it down. You're going to overwork it down. You're going to get a lot of money to put it down. The psalmist says, if you have a pain, you have to say it like it is. You got to put your pain in prayer. The more you ignore and deny that it's really painful, the pain gets worse. Trust me. The more you're not open and honest about what really pains you and even dare think about why it pains you so much for like 10 years and you never talk about it, you never say it to God. Well, I'm going to tell you, just not doing what the psalmist does. What can you do with your pain? Put your pain into prayer. Put your pain into words. I'm a talker. I'm a talker. Can't believe my wife is still married to me after 15 years because I have to talk everything. I have to vomit it out. And I start feeling better. I have to talk it all out with my confidential, confidant pastor friends outside of my church. They got to be outside of my church because I'm complaining to them about my church. (laughs) And I feel better with my friends and pastor friends. But my friend, do not dismiss the best of all counselors, the best of all friends, when friends come and go, is a living God who actually wants to hear about and take your pain. He can handle your pain and God actually wants to take your pain. Put your pain into prayer. I am very poor and weak at prayer to this day. So I'm thankful that God doesn't demand of me, hey, uh, Harold, when you're in pain, you better give me articulate prayers. You better give me well-ordered prayers. You better give me theologically precise prayers. You better give me appropriate prayers. No, no, no. Romans chapter eight tells me when you run out of words and you're not the talking type, you can sit there and groan and cry and moan with cries that are too deep for words. And I have a father in heaven who happens to understand me perfectly. We happen to have a God who translates every guttural cry perfectly. We happen to have a maker, as we just saw this adorable little baby, better than a parent can know their child. And when we say put your pain into prayer, I am not saying it has to be polished, professional, all put together. No, you're not put together. God wants you when you're not put together. My youngest daughter is here. I'm not going to embarrass her, but she has said on more than one of occasion, Daddy, on Sundays, you actually look okay. <laughs> you brush your hair, you took a shower, you shaved, put on some nice clothes. On Sundays, you actually look pretty okay. She's even used the word handsome. <laughs> I should video record it that one time. But then she goes, But Daddy, I see you on some other days. You look like a hobo. (laughs) Where do we get the notion 
that worshiping God, approaching God, or going to church is only for people who look like they put it all together. Where do we get that notion? Where do we get that idea that God doesn't want right now the most shameful, the most bloody, the most disgusting, the most harmful, that one secret sin? Where do we get the idea you cannot bring that out and talk about it here? I'll tell you where you don't get it from. You don't get it from the Psalms. You don't get it from the scriptures. And you do not get that from Jesus. Jesus, his eyes and his heart broke with compassion for those in pain. Those who said, I have no pain. I need no medicine. I need no therapy. I need no counseling. I need no help. I am fine. Thank you very much. Well, that was a different story in the response of Jesus. But every psalmist, every singer, every worshiper, every man, every woman, any person who has pain and dares to bring that pain to God in prayer, words or not, this is how the psalmist teaches us, leads us. This is what you should do first with your pain. Psalm 13 is a raw and extended complaint, is it not? Surprise, surprise that God includes it in the scriptures because he wants our pain in full. He doesn't just want the beautiful, polished, presentable parts. And this psalm is an extended complaint because his pain is extended. It's long. So he's complaining and crying over the longevity of his pain. How long, how long? How long, how long? But he's not only crying over the longevity of his pain. I want you to notice the severity of his pain. He doesn't just say how long, how long. He explains and unpacks to us what is paining him. Verse 1. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You ever feel like this? Have you ever felt that all of this might be fake? That singing, I believe in God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit is something that was just passed down, imposed on you, but you don't really own that. It hasn't really made any difference in your life. This is the feeling that the psalmist is saying. When I pray, you're not close. God, I know it in my head, but I feel nothing. This is a spiritual problem, is it not? His relationship with God seems like it's filled with distance and separation. Look at verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long all the day? How long all the day? Ongoing, continuous, prolonged. But what is this sorrow coming from? This is an emotional pain. I'm not sure where the sorrow is coming from, but it's an emotional pain. It's a depression. It's a melancholy. It's not just a mood. It's a condition. So he's a spiritual pain. He feels forgotten and far from God. Second, he feels sorrow in his heart all the day. Look at third. Look at third. Maybe the most painful. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It's a social pain. It's a relational fallout. 
you know you're not right with your spouse. Your spouse has been living in the other room for like years. You know you're not right with your uncle. You know you're not right with your brother or sister. You know you're not right just from social media because that person didn't respond the way you wanted them to. Social fallout. Well, any way you describe it, it seems to me that this psalmist is suffering all kinds of pains. And for a very long time. So what is the psalmist model for us to do? Put it into prayer. Say it like it is. Say what you feel. To God. To God. Now before we move on, I must make the qualification that prayer is a two-way street. It's a dialogue with the living God. You may not feel something for a while, but my friend, I highly encourage you, not feeling something for a while does not mean you do not have faith. But your faith that continually comes to God and says stuff like, I don't feel you. I don't know if you're there. God, I don't know if I believe this stuff. Let's see what God does with your faith. But it's a two-way street. And so for all the people in this room who say, well, hey, check it out, pastor. I'm the person who has got to keep it real. I'm going to keep it real. Good. Great. This is the most real person you'll ever meet. He knows everything about you anyways. He knows what you're doing on every weekend with your boy. He knows everything. He's the most real. So be real. Let's be real. Get real. Talk about everything. Rage and ask any question. You know, no question is too hard for God to answer. Rage and vent and just unload everything, your pain before God. But it's a two-way street. Do not stop there. You have to expect that God is actually going to listen God is actually going to respond, and God may actually change you. There's a pseudo type of Christian movement today where it's all about be authentic, be real, say your pain. Great. It's only halfway there. It's only halfway there. As real as you get with God, don't say then, well, I'm just going to be real with God so I can stay real sinful. If you're going to get real with God, you have to allow God to get real with you. Like Job, like Job, who asked questions, I would venture to guess, that none of us would even think of. When he was leveling them at God and his friends were all conservative church types, theologians who had no clue about real life. And then he rages and rages and at the end, you know what happens? As we turn right into the second point, God meets with him. He answers him gives him his little biography of what he's done in his life over the world. And Job is stunned into silence. He is just enraptured in awe. He's changed. So what should you do with your pain? You got to put it into prayer. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I know mine. And I'll tell you to the degree that my prayer life sucks. That's why all the pain is not really getting better. 
Second, what does God promise to do with your pain? Okay, I'm going to bring my pain. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to cry over it before God. What is he going to do? There are three commands. Oh, how dare David command God. But he does three times. Consider, verse three. Answer me, verse three. Light up my eyes, verse three. The last thing a person wants when you're really in pain, I mean real pain, not that you're stuck in traffic pain, although that's a pain. Not that your kid didn't listen to you immediately, although that's a pain. I'm talking about a real, real pain. The last thing you want is a textbook answer, a philosophy on life, or just how to outthink it. Here's what David wants. You, you, you show me anyone who's in real pain. Here's all they want. Please make it better right now. Please make me feel better right now. That's why the psalmist is commanding God. Consider, answer, light up my eyes. I can't stand it. I have had enough of this. It's hard for me to think how I get up the next morning with this. So God, please do something about it. And what is it that God does? What is it that God does? I am happy to share with you. Here's what God does. He comes to meet with you right in the middle of your pain. The living God whom you have called upon, cried out to, and even commanded, actually condescends and is so loving and gracious and kind and patient with us that he comes down to meet with you in the middle of your pain. My friend, God is not promising to meet with you only after you have a handle on the pain. God is not saying, I'm only going to meet with you after you've given me a strategic business plan of what you're going to do to solve this problem. God is not saying, I will meet with you around, behind, or before, or beneath. God is saying, I will meet with you right in the middle of that pain. Right in the smack center of the pain. Not when you feel better. Not when you're more repentant. Not when you've prayed more. No. When you have prayed to God, God, I need relief now. I know of a God who comes right down right then and there. And he meets you in the middle of the pain. You know how I know that God meets us in the middle of the pain? Do, I, do you know, want to know why you can bank on that? Because God loves people who are broken, not bold and beautiful. God chooses the weak, not the strong. You are a better leader in your weaknesses, not showing off your strengths. My friend, the kingdom of heaven is nothing like this world. It's not based on your resume. It's not based on your income. It's not based on your smarts. It's not based on your social savvy. It's not based on how well-behaved your kids are. The whole basis of Christian faith and life is Jesus had to come down. And why would he have to come down if you could fix it yourself? If Jesus had to come all the way down because he knew you could reach all the way up? No, here's what God promises to do. I want to meet you in the middle and the center of your pain. 
You know, John's gospel, it's odd. It's amazing how he keeps talking about the glory of God, the glory of God, that bright, shining splendor. People were looking at the eclipse. They, uh, do you really need a news channel to tell you you shouldn't stare directly at the sun? <laughs> Jesus Christ is the very visible brilliance and manifestation of the heat and the power and the brilliance of God. No one can look at him face to face. But do you know, according to John, how you could best see and experience the glory of God? So for all the people in the room, I want more of God. I want to experience more of the glory of God. I want to know how great he is. I want to know he's for real. Here it is. Here it is. Follow me close. The glory of God in John's gospel was not seen best when he walked on water, when he gave the tightest, most eloquent, world-changing sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It was not even when he exercised demons out of people. It was not when he multiplied the bread. It was not when he outlawed and outsmarted all of his enemies on trial. Do you know when the glory of God descended upon earth and changed the face of history? Most. It was when Jesus was wrecked with pain, the most betrayed and alone the most conspired against, the most hated, the most hunted, the most despised, naked, strewn out on a cross, crucified. And there, John dares to write. That's the glory of God. All I know, all I know is the pain I've caused other people, ugliness and humiliation and consequence upon consequence, upon my wife and family and all the people around me at the church. Do you know why this happens? It's because I'm not yet really exactly like Jesus. That's the bottom line. I'm just not yet exactly like Jesus. Oh, but how Jesus still loves me so. Oh, but how he still views me as perfectly righteous. I will never get over this. Oh, how he still wants to use me. I don't know how how he could do this with me. But if my main problem and the pain I give to other people and myself is because my lack of Christ-likeness, how is Christ going to make me more, more like him? How is God going to make me more like Christ? I'll tell you how. Tried and true. It's only through pain and suffering. It's only through in the middle of pain and suffering that somehow, I'm sorry, dentists in the room, like dentists, who we know are doing something good for you, as C.S. Lewis says, they're good, but doesn't mean they have no pain. And God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. What a dandy, nice little cliche promise for a lot of us. You say, oh, that's a cliche. That's a cliche. Oh, yeah, of course, God's going to work everything out. Are you saying that everything's happening to me right now is God's will? No. God hates racism. God hates child abuse. God hates that trafficking. God hates your drunkenness. God hates your lying. God hates your deceit. God hates it. So how will he set you free from it? 
when pain comes, which it surely will, he'll meet you right in the middle of it. My dear old mom, second woman of my life who has you know, loved me most next to my wife, my dear old mom. I suffer from migraine headaches, and um, I don't know if it's an ancient Asian remedy. Years ago, what she would do is take out, yeah, here, give me your hand, give me your hand. She takes my fingers, and she gets a fork or a knife or a chopstick. I said, just give me your hand. I'll make you feel better. And she'll press the fork or the chopstick or the nail so hard down at the base of my nail. And she'll just dig, literally dig. I feel like it's going to pop open and bleed. She said, I read somewhere, this will cure you of your headache. <laughs> and she's digging down and pressing down as hard as she can. And she turns up to me, Harold, is your headache gone? I'll say it is. You see, it worked. What I explained to her is, mom, the only reason the headache's gone is because you have inflicted greater pain. <laughs> You've displayed, you made me forget this pain. And now my pain has just shifted to my fingertips. Do you think God is like that? You know, some of you deep down in your hearts, because fathers have failed you, pastors have failed you, counselors have failed you, your spouse and your church friends have failed you. You instinctively think, if I bring this pain to God and his community of people, he's going to make it worse. He's going to dig down into my fingernails, and the only reason I'm going to get better is because I'm more in pain over here. Oh, my friend. I know a God who comes down in the middle of your pain because he himself took pain upon himself. John Stott famously wrote in the cross of Christ, there is no other God like this. Tell me, describe a God to me like this. A God who bleeds. A God who suffers. A God who's been betrayed. A God who's been abandoned. A God who's been exposed. The truth has been told. If you bring your pain in prayer, you might get to meet with God in the middle of that prayer. Third, last but not least, can the pain pass? How will the pain pass? You've entitled it, pain turns into praise. Hey, I've been waiting really long for you to get to the praise part. But let me tell you why we spent more time on the pain part. Because the pain part is actually the dominant part in our lives. The pain part is actually the dominant part of this whole book called the Psalms. You know, in Hebrew, Psalms means praises. Did you know that? Psalms in Hebrews is praises. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So the question turns back to then, well, why are the book of Psalms called praises when in fact, if you count how many more laments and cries and sorrowful, sad songs there are, there's actually more sad songs than happy ones. So why do we call it praises instead of pains? Here's why. You know all the laments, most of the cries? They're stacked up near the beginning. Read Psalm 3. Read Psalm 4. Read Psalm 5. 
Read Psalm 6. You know in Psalm 6, the psalmist says, every night I cry so much, I drown my couch or my bed with tears. Try that psalm on. Every night my couch or, or, or bed is drowned with tears. And all the laments, or the majority and the bulk of them, which is the majority of this book, they're stacked up front. And then when you get to the end, which is what I used to do all through high school, cliff notes, just read the beginning and the end. Oh, Psalm 146, all the way to Psalm 150. Filled with praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And if you read Psalm 150, every line and every verse has this Hebrew word, hallelujah, hallelujah, except one. Why is this the case? Because God is pointing out that's the movement of life. That is the real movement of real life. Perhaps what the Psalms express the most, we express the least. Perhaps all the happy, happy songs and seminars and sermons and small groups and everything in Christian circles make us instinctively believe that you're less Christian if you're sad. Maybe some people think it's just less spiritual if you're not praising all the time. Hey, maybe something's wrong with me. I really don't have a lot of faith because this sickness is actually not getting better. Maybe I don't have enough faith. I'm here to tell you, my friend, you're perfectly normal. You're just like the psalmist because the pains are stacked up front, but there's gonna come a day where you come out the other side. The movement of the psalms is the movement of my Savior. The movement of the Psalter, this songbook, is the songbook of Jesus Christ. Some questions you should ask of every psalm is, not only how can I sing or pray this psalm to Jesus, a better question might be, very intriguing, is how did Jesus himself sing or pray this psalm? Can I ask you, do you think Jesus could have prayed or sang Psalm 13? Oh, Harold, give me proof. I don't find that in the New Testament. Oh, we do know in the New Testament, he certainly sang Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that too much of a stretch for him to turn around in Psalm 13 and say, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And my friend, the whole reason why the pain can pass, the whole reason why there could be any movement from pain to praise is because that was the very movement of Jesus' life. And as he was stricken with pain, and as he was humiliated and abandoned, and he ascended into the cross, which is the moment of glory, and he descended into a grave, went through hell for us. He came out the other side on the third day. It's called the resurrection. Jesus got up from death. Jesus got up from the worst possible situation you can face in all of life. Jesus got up from the last and worst enemy. Jesus overcame the worst depression you could ever feel. Jesus bridged the gap from divorce and separation and rejection and abandonment, the likes of which we will never fathom. Jesus came to take 
and sing your pain with you. And that's why when you invite Jesus in, into your pain, into the middle of it, and God comes down and meets you in it, and you start hearing him sing the same song as you, No one sings Psalm 13 better than him. And when he starts singing the blues with you, when you hear and feel someone sing your song, Jesus promises, I'm going to replace your songbook with mine. I'm going to change the course and trajectory of your life, just like I changed the course of all of history. Death is not the end. It's not final. It's not the final verdict. His resurrection is. There's a little Irish rock band that I joke I never talk about, led by Bono of U2. And they wrote a little song for their very good friend, Michael Hutchins, for those of us who grew up in the 1980s. Like, he was it, like the guy. Australian model-looking dude, long, danced well. He was the lead singer of In Excess. And he took his life. And so you too wrote a song mourning over the loss of Michael Hutchins. And in the final stanza, in the chorus, they sing this. You got to get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment and now you can't get out of it. And if the night runs over and if the day won't last and if your way should falter, Along the stony pass, it's just a moment. This time will pass. My friend, it's just a moment. It really is. in the light of history, and upon your resurrection. If you want your pain to turn into praise, here's all you gotta do today. Put it all into prayer. Ask for Jesus, the living God, to meet you in the middle of it. And then say, Jesus, you've got to be my lead singer from here on. I'm part of your band. I'm just gonna follow your cues. I'm in your choir. Change my songbook, change my life, change my direction. Jesus, come and sing my sad songs with me. And if I got you, I know this time will pass. I know this time will pass. I know it will turn into praise. Three long verses. How long, how long, how long? I'm miserable and I'm sad. And then it just jumps to verse five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he had dealt bountifully with me. If you're sober, sensible at all, what a great group you are. If you're paying attention at all, do you ever ask the question, how do you go from verse four to five? Like what happened there? You were down in the dumps, crying out and raging against God. And then verse four, all of a sudden, it's like a flip a switch. Oh, but I'm going to trust in your steadfast love now. You've dealt bountifully with me and I'm always going to praise you for, for your salvation. 
What happened between verses four and five? This is the part you have to get. Or this is a nice little platitude. There's a mysterious, miraculous work that had to be done to turn verses one, two, three, and four into five and six. And it's no longer behind the scenes. It's a broken, beautiful Savior, Christ Jesus, who was unveiled in history, wide open. Who said, I'll take your pain, I want your pain, I'll sing your pain, I'll pray your pain. And behind the scenes, he turns verse four into five. Do you know Jesus is in the business of miracles? Jesus is in the business of things doctors can't do. Economists can't do. Philosophers can't do. Scientists can't do. Certainly pastors can't do for you. Do you know Jesus is in the life-saving, life-giving miracle business where your pain can turn into praise and you come out the other side? Why don't you try it and see if that comes true? Cling to him, invite him. And see how he takes you out the other side. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this prayer, this song. Oh Lord. We want to come to you this this morning. And we want to say, (laughs) Jesus, today, I'm tired of giving you my pretending self, my polished, presentable self, my religious self, my respectable self, my reputable self, my smart and put it all together self. Jesus, today, I want to talk to you about my real self. I don't want to feel fake. I don't want to be false. Jesus, Please come into my real pain. I need you now. I need you to meet me here. And I need you to take me by the hand and carry me in your strong saving arms. And somehow, someday, you're going to turn it all into praise. Have my life. I surrender. I will stop trying to save myself. I surrender. Would you join me in that word of prayer? Let me just give you a couple moments as I believe the Spirit of God wants you to pray and brings you to himself. Pray with me anything that you want to say back to God. Let's pray.